0: Welcome to Served Neat. I'm your host, Jen Hartman. I am wildly obsessed with marketing, sales, business, and the bottom line. I left corporate America with $3,000 in my bank account and a dream of becoming a successful entrepreneur. In the last two years, I grew my marketing consultancy to multiple six figures, worked with over 160 CEOs, and even started my very own fashion brand. In this podcast, I'll be serving up my best kept secrets to help you grow and scale your business. Each week, you'll hear from myself along with other entrepreneurs. You'll learn about what it actually takes to grow a brand, the ups, the downs, and everything in between. Pour yourself a glass of bourbon and get ready to take notes because it is time to dive into this week's episode. sat down with Yuki and Noah from Pluffle, the world's first dog bed for humans. The Pluffle was designed to maximize comfort and foster a sense of security, delivering the ultimate relief from stress, anxiety, and exhaustion. Knowing Yuki invented the product while they were still in college, they were tired college students who realized that there weren't a lot of comfortable napping spots around campus. You may have seen Yuki and Noah in one of their viral videos on TikTok or in this season of Shark Tank. In today's episode, they share more about Shark Tank and what viewers didn't get to see, what it's like to run a company with your best friend, costly mistakes, imposter syndrome, and so much more. P.S. We recorded this interview at a coffee shop since Noah and Yuki were visiting Louisville, so I apologize for any background noise. All right, let's get into it. Hey guys, what's up? I have Yuki and Noah with me today from Fluffle, and I'm so excited to chat with them. We're just going to get right into it. So, they created a dog bed for humans, which is super cool. If you guys saw them on Shark Tank, if not, go back and check that episode out. I'm super curious, where did this idea come from?
1: So, Noah here, co founder of Fluffle. So, when I was in university, actually, I worked as a barista, had a giant great day and the owners had one that had a giant customizable dog bed and whenever I was working you know making coffee making pastries all that I would always see how comfortable it looked napping and would and would get kind of jealous so one day during a long shift you know after lots of classes probably in the middle of finals or something like that I looked at this dog and found myself really jealous and realized that I wanted one for myself so called up Yuki loved the idea he was totally on board and we set to work from there
0: I love it. That's amazing. So you guys launched a pretty successful Kickstarter earlier this year. Give us your best Kickstarter tips and tricks. And I'm asking this selfishly because I'm launching a Kickstarter in the spring and I just want to like pick your brains.
2: So for one, definitely work on building a really strong email list before the campaign so that people are like amped to like see your campaign launch and ready on day one to like blow it out of the water because that day one is really, really important we um, met our Kickstarter goal in the first hour. So because of that, we were trending on like Kickstarter we're on like the front page of Kickstarter. Like they were like showing our product. And because of that, we got even more eyeballs and like people didn't learn about our product. Around like 35% of our revenue or backing came from people who found us through Kickstarter. So that can be really, really important. Kind of like how it's similar to Amazon where you have to rank. um, Kickstarter has a really similar algorithm. So that's something that's really, really important. But for us, what really I think made or break her campaign, um, other than all the hype and all this, so the virality we had before, was our video. Um, if a lot of people don't know this, but we had a video that we were about to launch two weeks before. We're gonna launch a Kickstarter two weeks before. It was made on an iPhone. It was just Noah and I walking throughout a school and an office, just talking about our product without actually showing our product. And it was not at all professional. We thought it didn't matter. We thought if we had good pictures, we, had, we thought we had a good like campaign itself, the video wouldn't matter. But on the very day of when we were supposed to launch, we pretty much pulled the plug because we kind of came to this realization that the video was just not good enough. And we showed it to people that would actually purchase. And they were just like, I will not purchase because of this video. So we totally like delayed the campaign last minute, two weeks, told everyone on our email list, hey, we're launching two weeks. Everyone was like really upset we've been waiting like we wanted to purchase and then we refilmed the video we uploaded it and like thank god because that video was used for like press outlets and they use that vi- clips from that video and like news and stuff like that and it was overall just like kind of propelled us to the next stage uh and made us more legitimate um when in reality we had pretty much no idea what we we're doing at that point so
1: oh i think another thing to touch on I definitely want to highlight that video component but i would say in addition to showing your product and and what you're featuring i would say it's really important to also highlight the story of the product and where it came from in your video and in your materials because the people on kickstarter are really backing you at the earliest stage and they're they're gonna be backing you with uncertainty of when they're getting it sometimes even if they're getting it and so you really want to have them feel a personal connection and attachment not just to your product to but to you as like founders in, into what you're
2: building so i would say that's a,
1: something really important and crucial as well
2: yeah, and have a really good hook like the first 10 seconds of your video is really important so make sure like you start really ca- catchy and then you kind of deep deep de- like dive into like the more story and all how it all came about.
0: wow okay some great tips and tricks i'm gonna get nosy and ask another question related to the kickstarter so you guys didn't just pop up on Kickstarter one day and you're like I'm here, right? Like you had email marketing, I'm sure you guys were on TikTok. What did that timeline leading up to the Kickstarter look like and what kind of marketing were you doing outside of email marketing?
1: So it's kind of funny actually. We'd always had the idea in our head, oh we're going to launch a Kickstarter one day, like that's the perfect way to kind of launch this product. But we never really had like we never really had a set date or moment in time that we were going to do it. But it happened when we joined TikTok one day just to start putting ourselves out there. And then a week later, we went absolutely viral. We, we got like 10 million views, drove our email list well over 10,000. And at that moment in time, we knew we had captured a really special momentum with our product. And so that was kind of like a point where it clicks like, okay, we need to launch our Kickstarter now. So we spent really two or three weeks, I would say, about that just doing everything it took to get it up and running. So it was really when we had that spark and that initial sense that like, there's real momentum behind this. But we hadn't, it wasn't like a long thought out kind of intentional, okay, mid April is when we're gonna launch this. It was when we really saw like the passion and the excitement that people had that we wanted to capitalize off of. And
2: I think that was really important because a lot of people like overthink the launch of their campaign. Um, But when the moment is right, the moment is right. And I think if we had launched a month later, a lot of the interest and hype would have died down. And the fact that we even delayed it, like we were gonna launch it, like maybe I think a week after our viral TikTok, we had the entire campaign ready to go. We had all the graphics ready. Like we literally made the entire campaign like three days. We only pushed it back because of the video, but like we like, that was the fastest we could possibly push the start of our camp- campaign. And we were still students at this point. So we had like dropped everything, dropped our final thesis, dropped like any studying, like just to work on this campaign because we knew we had something special. And we knew that we had to like act quickly to capture all the momentum. So
0: very cool. Thank you so much for sharing. So like I mentioned, most people saw you on this season of Shark Tank. What was that experience like? And what did viewers not see? Because I know that they cut some things out. The viewers only see like, I don't know what, eight minutes, five minutes of your pitch. So give us like the tea.
2: Yeah, so Shark Tank was pretty crazy because, no, I mean, at least for me, I grew up watching the show, so to actually be in the tank, it felt a little bit surreal. I didn't, like, I kind of had to pinch myself, like, I'm really here right now, and I think I sort of blacked out halfway through. I don't really remember exactly what went down. It was funny because when I was watching the episode, it's like, watching a simulation, like, replayed, and it's like, oh, that happened. Oh, I, I forgot when that happened sort of thing, Um, uh, but otherwise it was a lot of preparation. We've been, you know, they reached out to us in May and we've been like talking to the producers since like June, July, like we had a lot of prep into our pitch, into like all the logistics, all their set, everything takes quite a lot of time. And really like, even to this day, it's just me and Noah. So we had to spend a lot of time sort of preparing for it, like every little aspect of it. And Noah can talk about like what 10 minutes before a pitch when Our pluffles weren't ready. Yeah. So one thing,
1: I mean, we haven't really told anyone this before, but so when we went on the show, we were still, we didn't actually have a final version of our product yet. We were still in like the last prototyping stages, working that through with our manufacturer. And so we told them, Hey, we need, you need to send three or so models for the show. They sent them, they arrived about three days before and they were all wrong. Um, the parts didn't fit together right. They must've been tweaking with some different design, but it, we, were, we were kind of freaking out we were like, oh, we cannot bring this on TV. We can't bring this one of the sharks, this looks terrible. And so we spent like the two days before we were there effectively like reshaping and building new bolsters, going to foam shops and trying to fix it. And the one that we had bef- that we brought on was actually like three different manufacturers and different parts all kind of assembled into one. And so we had to ship all the parts separately. Some straight from our manufacturer, some from Seattle. And so 10 minutes before the show, we had to furiously assemble these pluffles that we never made before because they were not a mishmash. They were just different components from different areas. And so we were sweating and we were really stressed. And so we actually had to get our, I'm trying to, we had to get like our, like our armpits, like almost dried out a little bit because from like the heat and we were in LA and it was the summer and throwing these bolsters in and putting it together. And in the end, they, they looked great and they looked great on the show, and the Sharks absolutely loved it, but it was a moment of high stress in the days, and even the minutes leading up to the show, not fully knowing if we were
2: going to have a product that looked good, and and we were proud of. Yeah, not not just that. It's, like, really tight. They only give you 15 minutes to get ready, and that was pushing it, because, like, they have a really tight schedule of, like, how many pitches they have in a day, and 15 minutes in, our stuff still wasn't assembled, so they get, granted, like, five more emergency minutes but they were like we need to go we need to go if your product's not ready just bring one like they were just like crushing on us and we were just like really really anxious because if we don't get these assembled we can't pitch or our pitch is going to look really bad so um it, it ended up working out but it was really really stressful
0: that sounds so stressful i can't even imagine going through that oh my goodness okay so you guys had a dog in your pitch Was it your dog? Was it your dog? Where did you guys find this dog? And how did you train the dog? I need to know.
1: So our initial plan was to actually get a Hollywood actor dog for the show. Um, But the cost was insane. I think it was 2000 plus dollars to have the dog for 30 seconds because they have minimum like training hours. And all we need to have the dog do is sit in its bed for about one minute. But it required like eight hours minimum training for that. Something absolutely ridiculous. And so we reached out to our producers. We were like, hey, like, we honestly can't really afford this. Can you, can we think of something else? Um, and they're like, okay, let me see what we can do. Let me, let me talk to the the people up top. And so we actually had, uh, I think it was like the head producer, like the executive producer, one of the top guys on Shark Tank, his like family dog came in, uh, Kipper. And he was absolutely adorable. One of the cutest dogs ever, but I would not necessarily say he was trained or well-behaved
2: great dog he actually threw up on the rug like right before we were about to go pitch and then during the- they've been feeding it so many like treats to calm it down it had like uh it went like what 50 treats or something like that it was just kept yeah like, throughout the hour or two while they were prepping yeah. so it was so full when like we were ready to pitch it was really funny
1: yeah so threw up and then it's one job which was just to sit in its dog bed because we were supposed to cite it as like, oh, look how comfortable Kipper is, like in his cozy dog bed. He just got up like immediately once
2: he started pitching and like walked away. So like they stitched it together to make it seem like the dog was there. When I said, look at our buddy Kipper over here, Kipper just wasn't there. I was just staring at an empty dog bed and I had no idea where the dog was. And all the sharks were like giggling while we were pitching. They weren't even focused on us because Kipper was just running circles around the, the tank, like going in and out and like, so like, that was kind of like a variable that we had not accounted for. But. And it's,
1: it's pretty funny. If you've seen the episode, you see there's a point where Yuki actually goes in and kind of tries out the, the pluffle. And this is in our pitch, our initial demonstration. And you see Kipper actually comes back and is kind of sniffing the bed and like kind of nodding at it and checking it out. But Yuki just had no idea because I'm sure you were just probably just so focused on doing your lines and like going through the routine it wasn't until we walked we thought kipper just got up and left but he was just chilling and so it wasn't until we actually watched the episode we we're like wait kipper came back he was like hanging out like he was over by the bed too and it was pretty funny to see that
0: that's hilarious i mean i know you guys can't see me right now but i was like shedding tears because i was laughing so hard about the dog All right, we're gonna switch topics just a little bit and talk about mindset. So you guys are pretty young founders. You're in your early twenties, your recent college grads. Do you ever experience imposter syndrome? If so, how do you deal with it?
2: Yeah, kind of similar. I think Noah and I, when we came here to Kentucky, kind of we had this moment where we had a little bit of time because we're waiting for our units. And so far our experience just has been super go, 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 go but like we had a moment just to reflect on everything that has happened and everything to come. We definitely felt pretty overwhelmed because we we just never had the time to sit down and think about it. Um, And it's really easy, especially with like social media, like LinkedIn, everything to compare yourself all the time. And it seems like other DTC founders have like these crazy boards, crazy teams, like crazy funding. And like, we're here just like two recent grads, like not a lot of funding, like just, you know, small team doing ourselves and like, at times, it can definitely feel lonely and like, like the path ahead of us seems really long. Um, so that can be really, really challenging. And that was has been challenging for us at times. But I think we try to use it to our strength that we're young. And I think this space is so rapidly evolving. And you know, even we didn't know how to use TikTok when we first started. But we've been able to learn because we're young. We have friends that use TikTok. And we're able to really adapt and absorb everything that's going on. Um, so as long as we're young, like we can continue to do that and like try to find sort of our weaknesses in a sense, uh, find strength in them. And that's the way we've been, uh, sort of working around that so far, but I'm sure Noah has a lot more to say about that. Yeah.
1: I just want to say, I mean, I think one thing we really appreciated as we've started growing this business, especially meeting other founders and entrepreneurs, I think there's a really good sense of kind of acknowledging maybe less so. Publicly, but definitely like within like communities and like when you're meeting with people, kind of the downfalls and the mistakes and all of the errors that everyone's making, regardless of where you're at in your stage in your life and your career. And we've met people that are 10 years older than us that have had very illustrious professional careers before doing this, that have shared openly some of the the, the pretty and serious mistakes they've made. And I so I think meeting with other people and just being open about that has really helped us. And just hearing people be honest and genuine. Because it is hard, like we don't have much professional experience under our belt and much of a professional network. I think we know a lot of other founders who have done stuff before and they've been able to enter their business with kind of a backing and support and not having that has definitely been hard. But I think just working really hard to build our own network now has has been really instrumental in helping us feel more confident and just really excited and, and, and better about the, the challenges that go along our way.
0: You guys kind of touched on this. Well, you touched on it for like a second, but failure. I mean, I have made a lot of mistakes. I have wasted tens of thousands of dollars. I've made bad hires. I mean, we talked about this the other day when we got coffee, but have you guys made any mistakes so far? Anything that you're willing to share?
2: We might make a TikTok about this, but we made like a ten dollars to $15,000 mistake uh, pretty recently. So our box um, is a certain size. It's pretty big. You know, Puffle's pretty big. And the box is about two inches over the oversized charge limit. Uh, We didn't know this until the box, all the boxes were made and they're already on route from our manufacturer. And what that happens is then it's a $10 extra per charge per box. Uh, And also with holiday season right now, it's like there's another $10 extra per charge per box. So our charges for our crowdfunding run were so much more expensive. Um, They're about like $50 per unit. So we decided just subsidize, like, our mistakes and the extra holiday charges um, because, you know, we had, like, estimated a certain rate and, like, it was kind of off that, but that definitely cost us quite a lot of money that could have been avoided, but that's just one mistake. I'm sure there's more.
1: Yeah, I'm trying to, one thing that kind of comes to mind is, I don't know if this is a mistake per se, but one thing that I would kind of, I think maybe, like, a bit of advice almost is, like, I'm trying, I'm trying to think of how to phrase this. Yeah. I think when you have a sense of, of something that's the right thing to do, I would just just act on it and not necessarily like sit around and sometimes twiddle your thumbs and overthinking. I think part of the reason that like, like we're here in Louisville right now, waiting for our containers to arrive, which is great. Um, don't get me wrong. Love Louisville. But um, uh, the, part of the reason we're here is because we had some sort of an option to switch our container transport from rail to truck. And there was a lot of uncertainty about the costs and what would happen there. And I think it's been a little bit too long kind of overanalyzing what would happen when it should have just been a, a little bit more clear. Okay, this will get it here faster. This will make our process more streamlined to make it easier to do what we have to do. It should have just pulled the trigger. And so I think sometimes, obviously it's great to think through your situations and analyzing them, but sometimes doing it to a little bit too much and not taking action can lead to not necessarily mistakes, but tougher challenges along the way.
0: Yeah. Definitely. I think that you can like overthink yourself to death. And I think that it's really important as a founder to, of course, make smart decisions and weigh the pros and cons, but to actually make those decisions, because ultimately, even if it's the wrong decision, you'll make a mistake, but you're going to learn that much quicker. So that was a great, great answer. Okay, so we have a lot of firsts going on here. Number one, we're recording in a coffee shop. I've never recorded in a coffee shop before. So if you guys are like, what is going on with the audio? That would be why. Number two, I'm one interviewing in person, right? And I'm interviewing Shark Tank founders, which is very cool. I've never had that opportunity before. And last but not least, I'm interviewing co-founders. I've never interviewed two people on a podcast. So let's talk about being co-founders. Have there been any challenges?
2: Yeah. So Noah and I get along really well, which is great. Um, We were best or we're really good friends in college. We're classmates as well. So I've known him since freshman year. Um, So we were friends first and like business kind of second. And that's always been the motto. Even till now, Um, we've always prioritized our friendship over anything because we did this, not out of the want to like make a bunch of money, but out of the want of just to have fun and just to see where, what we can create and yeah, just, just that. But at times there definitely are a lot of challenges. Um, We spend a lot of time together and that's a good thing. But at the same time, um, there's sometimes can be like a difficulty to separate like our personal and work life, because at the end of the day, there is no no personal life in a sense. Our work life is our personal life. We do this 24 seven and we love it, but we're in it for the long run. So Noah and I were kind of discussing this, but I think for it to be sustainable in the long run, I think there definitely has to be some level of like separation but yeah we haven't really figured that out yet and right now it's not too much of a priority because things are going well and like i think we're a really good support system to each other um but yeah that's definitely a challenge of when you spend so much time with one person and you're doing everything from like personal life cooking like eating everything together it um there definitely i think will be challenges that arise in the future
1: i don't think i have anything to add to that other than i think there's like I don't know. I remember hearing like earlier, like in my life, like, oh, like, don't start a business with your friend or whatever, like, that can cause trouble. But honestly, I think it's been great. Like, when you, I think we didn't realize before this how much time this would take and how much energy. And so, doing this with someone that you feel comfortable with and you enjoy spending your time with, I think is really important. So, that's why I had a point right now, like Yuki said, where we do everything together and we work together. Obviously, there's challenges, but it's great because we have so much fun. And we love it. And we have a great time working together. And so I think that's really important.
2: Yeah. And it's to say, like, I can't imagine doing this myself, like genuinely, like, I just don't think that like, I'm, I would be able to, um, not just like skills or anything, but just because like of having someone else to, to lean on and rely on is like really important because as I mentioned, entrepreneurship is lonely and you are in it for the long haul. It's not some year or two get rich scheme. Like, no, that's a lot of misconceptions people have, but Um, and we do have a really long road ahead of us. We just got started. So, um, we need to be like energized throughout it and to be motivated throughout it. And yeah, I think like, it's a lot easier when you have someone else there doing the same exact thing. Uh, so.
0: I love that answer. That was great. Okay. So I feel like as co-founders, it's probably really important that you have skill sets that complement one another. So what do you bring to the table? What do you bring to the table? Tell me more.
1: So I think because both Yuki and I are starting this so early in our career, it's not like we have necessarily different like Contextual skills that we've developed over years of like a job because we're both coming this out of the same university program. Um, but I think we've really kind of focused on developing our skills in different areas that complement each other really well. Something Yuki's gotten really good at, and had a lot of his focus is on kind of the marketing and content generation as well as the finance. And something I've been really focused on growing my skills on is like developing the product and the logistics and kind of how do you on the backside getting the business to run and getting the product out to the customers while Yuki's focused on getting in front of their faces and really promoting it to them. And so we do everything together and we work on all the same projects side by side, but there's been a big, we've definitely tried to focus on really honing in on certain areas so that we can develop our skills, but yeah.
0: Great. That's awesome. Okay. Let's wrap this up. Where can people learn more about Pluffle?
2: So we are pluffle.com. That's we are plufl.com, but more importantly, follow us on uh, social media, TikTok, uh, Instagram. We're about to document our entire journey of hand delivering Pluffles and bringing them to Canada, so that should be fun. Our videographer is coming in tonight. Uh, we're really excited about that. So yeah, that's really more important than anything is to just for people to be along our journey and see the ups, but also see the downs, which you know I'm sure there'll be a lot of both. So yeah, we're just excited to share our journey, and we're just excited to be here in the first place. So.
0: Awesome. Well, thank you so much, guys. This is a great interview. And I know that my audience is going to love this.